Proverbs chapter 4, open there with me again today. Something we've been looking at together for the last several weeks. You can find Proverbs 4 and also Luke chapter 8. Proverbs 4, Luke chapter 8. Love you. This is so fresh and so new to us. And Sarah and I have been in ministry for not that long comparatively to many people, but you know, 10 years or so, but stepping into this new assignment where we get to see you every week and be a part of life together. It's a new thing. And, um, there is an anointing like we've already talked about to pastor and it's, it's a new thing to us. It's a fresh thing to us. Some of it, we, we experience the first day stepping into this other elements of it. We're growing in every day, but one of the things the Lord's doing, and I'm so thankful for it is he is putting you in our hearts. And uh, I don't know of another way to express that. Um, she and I were in Africa years ago. Um, actually, just after we got married, about a month after we got married, we went to South Africa together. And we were ministering at a number of places. And we had been invited to minister in a township in uh, a place called Mamalodi, South Africa. Now, if you've never been to a township or know what that's like. It's kind of, it's what you see sometimes in, in how Africa's represented or how poverty is represented. And as we were driving in to this township, seeing things, you know, this little white kid from Texas had never seen. Uh, poverty on a level I had never been a firsthand witness of. People living in every imaginable condition, things they had made out of wood and scrap metal. There's a million people in this township. And we're driving in and I'm going, Lord, what in the world do I have to say to these people? What could I possibly say? And that was a time in my own ministry and, 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 and uh, walk with the Lord where, man, I felt like I had to have it. Like, God, you got to give this to me. I got to have some notes. I got to have notes. I can't stand up without some notes, Jesus. So you got to tell me what to say. I'll write it down. Then I'll have notes. And, uh, you know, we're talking about having faith in the power. I was a little more faith in my preparation, faith in my notes. And man, that day I just did not have it. And we're driving in and I'm going, Lord, what, 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 what? And finally in the back seat of that car, I prayed this prayer under my breath. Nobody could hear me. I just said, Lord, tell me how you feel about these people. And, and the Lord spoke back to me so clearly. I don't mean I heard him audibly just in my own heart. He said, Jeremy, you couldn't take it. And man, I got a sense right then and there of the love that God has for people all over the world and how much my own heart had to enlarge and expand just to, just to fit a little bit more of that love in it. And I just let the Lord right then in the backseat of that car in the next few minutes we had between where we were and where we were going, just work in me. Get these people in my heart. Get these people in my heart. I don't care what I say. I just got to have the people in my heart. And stood up that night and preached for, I don't know how long, babe, hour, hour and a half under the anointing and it's flowing and we're preaching in some old, what seemed like used to be a barn or something like that. And we walked into that place and there was so much joy, so much joy, quite frankly, that puts many of us and our places over here to shame 
the joy that these people praise the Lord with. And it was like three guys on a stage playing music. And if you've never heard African music in Africa, it makes even the lightest shade of skin want to just move and groove a little bit. I'm almost tempted to show you now, but I'm not going to do it. It gets on you. It gets in you. And these guys, I remember this guy playing the bass and he had this big old bass and he's rocking. And while he's playing and they're praising the Lord, the barn door behind them swings open. There's a dog walking past in the field. And so he just kind of backs into the door and closes it like this while he plays the bass. He's closing the door with his backside. Then he comes back out and they are loving God and loving life. You couldn't have made these people believe they were poor. You couldn't have made them think it. If you told them you're poor, they would have said, uh-huh, I'm not poor. Glory to God. And then the anointing came on us that night. It came out of that love for them. It came out of that, that taste of the love of God for people. And those people at the end of the service received an offering for us. They put two plastic chairs, one on either side of the stage, and they just began to come and put their coins and their, their bills in these chairs. And the, the pastor over the service came to Sarah and I afterwards with this offering in his hands, just up in his chest like this and said, this is from us and just poured it into our arms. And it was humbling and overwhelming And it was such a taste of what God has in his heart for people. So when I say to you, you're getting in our hearts, that's what I'm talking about. And, and I, again, I, you know, I still enjoy having some notes, but man, when the love of God comes on you, and if you've not experienced it as a minister before, uh, I pray you will in your life as you witness and minister to other people, it comes on you and you say things you didn't know. You say things by the spirit and it starts answering questions for people. And I wish sometimes you'd have my perspective because sometimes on on Sundays I'm up here preaching and it's like watching little light bulbs pop up over heads across the room. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the spirit of God. The same one that's in me, that's in you. And he's talking to each other, through each other. And I like it. Anybody else like this? I like it. So thank you, Lord, for what he's doing in this church. Proverbs chapter four. Verse 20, Solomon writing to his son, he said, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Say these three words with me. Keep them in. Say it again. Keep them in. This is a son or a father, excuse me, talking to his son, trying to get some attention from him. You know what that's like. I know what that's like. Hey boy, look at me. Pay attention. Don't be distracted. I know you got a lot of other voices coming at you. Mine are the ones that need to get in you. Mine are the ones that you need to keep in you. Because he went on to say, if you will incline your ear to it, if you'll, if you'll keep them in front of your eyes, if you'll keep them in the midst of your heart, these words, unlike any others, will be life to you. They'll be medicine and health to your flesh. And then he said to him in verse 23, New King James He said, keep your heart with all diligence. So there you see that word again, keep. He said, keep the words in. Now he's saying, keep them in your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it or out of your heart spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So when he said, keep it, 
What was he telling you to do? Guard it. Your heart needs a guard. And like we said last week, you, you're the only one who can do the job. I can't guard your heart. You can't guard my heart. You can't keep things from getting in my ears and my eyes and making their way down into my heart. I'm the one. That's my anointing. That's my calling in my own life to guard my own heart. God himself cannot guard your heart. You are that guard. And the reason we guard it is because the heart determines the course of your life. So if it's my heart that's determining where I end up, you better believe I don't want junk in here. I don't want something toxic in here. If I don't want to end up in the wrong place, I'm going to have to guard this heart to make sure the right things are in it and the wrong things stay out. And that's what we've seen a guard does. A guard serves two purposes, right? Keep things out that don't belong in and keep things in that don't belong out. That's what a guard does. And he said it like this in the Young's literal translation, above every charge, keep your heart for out of it are the outgoings of life. And then finally, the God's word translation says, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. I read these translations to you because I'm trying to drive this home especially these things that we've heard over and over and over again, we tend to get kind of inoculized to. We, we get a little bit immune to how strong and, and, and how assertive it actually is. He's telling you to guard this thing more than you guard anything else, more than you guard your own physical body, more than you guard your own physical well-being or your financial well-being. Guard that heart. It's valuable. It's precious. And it's worth guarding. Go to the book of Luke chapter eight. We've been looking for the last several weeks at some things Jesus said, and we're taking this from several different uh, perspectives, Matthew, Mark, and now Luke, where he talked about the parable of the sower. And without taking time to go back through the whole thing, you remember what we've discussed some, you know, Jesus stood up to preach and all these people had come to hear him. And he said, behold, which just means look, a sower went out to sow. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what sowers do. They sow. But this wasn't like we've discussed, you know, a, a seed, one seed here being planted, then another seed being planted down a row. This was more like a scattering of seed. So this sower reaches into his bag of seed and scatters seed. And Jesus said, a sower went out to sow and some seed fell. So there you can see that. He's throwing it and the seed's falling. Some seed fell on the wayside ground. He said, the birds came and devoured it. He said, some seed fell on stony ground and it didn't have much earth. It sprang up. But when the sun was up, Jesus said, it scorched it. Luke's account says it lacked moisture and uh, it withered away. So it didn't produce anything. Jesus said, some fell on thorny ground. And this is what we talked about last week. And he said, the thorns sprang up and it choked it and it became unfruitful. And like we've said before, if you were to stop right there, you might think that something's wrong with this seed. If you don't understand that the ground has something to do with it, then you might be tempted to look and go, man, I sowed this sucker three times and it has yet to produce anything. Maybe there's something wrong with the seed. But then Jesus said, some seed fell on, who knows what? Good ground. I want you to say that. Good ground. 
Some seed fell on good ground. And he said, it yielded a harvest. It produced a crop, some 30, some 60, some a hundredfold. And then the Bible says, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He cried it out. And you're going, well, everybody's got ears, but very few actually heard it. And really that's what the whole parable is all about because his disciples came to him later and said, you got to explain this to us. And Jesus said to them, you couple this with, with all the different accounts. He said to them, if you don't understand this one, are you listening to me? If you don't understand this one, this parable, how then will you understand any of them? That ought to tell you and me that there are master keys in this parable that unlock all of scripture. You know what a master key is? It's a key that does them all. Anybody have a big key ring? I don't know if people are carrying that around so much anymore. You got one of those rings that just got, seems like I got 150 keys on it. And you're standing out there looking for the one. Where's the one for this? And where's the one for that? But if you had a master key, right? You could go to that master key and you could unlock any of the doors. That's what this parable is. And that's why he said to them, if you don't understand this, then there's going to be a lot you don't understand. And he began to explain the parable to him. He said, the sower sows the word. That was the seed. So that right there ought to tell you nothing wrong with the seed. So when something's not producing in your life, when you're not bearing the kind of fruit you've been told you can bear as a believer, as a Christian, as a child of God, and it doesn't seem to be working, and that frustration start starting to set in, the first thing you need to remind yourself every time, nothing wrong with this seed. Are you listening, church? Every time. And those words should probably come out of your mouth. If you're getting frustrated, you, you, you're really only a few steps away from being frustrated with God. And that's a place you don't want to be. Just a little piece of advice, okay? Stay on his side. Stay on his side. Don't get in fights with him. You won't win. Don't get in arguments with him. He's smarter than you. He knows more than you. Is this revelation to anybody this morning? Stay on his side. And you do that by saying aloud, there is nothing wrong with this seed. Nothing wrong with this. This seed is an incorruptible seed. I was born again by this seed. This seed works when it's put in ground that it can work with. So you know to go back to the seed or go back to the ground. And Jesus said, the sower sows the word. He said, this is they that hear the word on wayside ground. They hear it. He said, they don't understand it. Remember, we talked some about this. And Satan comes immediately and steals the word. Well, why was Satan able to do that? Do you realize he cannot do that in just anybody's life? He does not have that kind of liberty. He does not have that kind of power. Oh, don't say that. You'll tick him off. He does not have that kind of power. He's been stripped. He's been brought to naught. He cannot just do that in anybody's life. The only people he can steal the word from are those who Jesus said don't understand it. Now, people hear that and they think, well, man, I'm really in trouble because I don't really get a lot of this. It's not about mental. It's not about grasping it. It's not a brain problem. Okay? 
It's not a lack of education. It's not because you didn't go to seminary or Bible school. It's not because you don't have some PhD or doctorate in all these different doctrines. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's not a brain problem. It's a heart issue. And people who don't understand the word, again, it's not mentally. It has to do with the word sinking into their heart. They don't get the value of it. See, I'm preaching to a bunch of people in here this morning who are in here this morning. And what does that say about you? I value this. You could be sleeping. I hesitate to tell you that, but you could be, couldn't you? You could have rolled over. You could have said five more minutes, God, five more minutes. You could have hit snooze, but this is valuable to you. This is precious to you. You see value in this. So you got up, you got out of bed, you got ready. You got the family in the car. You made it here. That says something about you. Not to me, to God. That says, Lord, I value this. Those who don't value it, he said, it's like hearing it on that wayside ground. And I want to spend a little more time with this today. Because this wayside ground, look up the word. It, it just literally means a road. It was a first century equivalent to concrete. It'd be like me walking out to 24 and scattering seed, hoping something grows in the middle of the highway. Not going to happen. Why? The ground's hard. And when the ground's hard, the seed can't penetrate. And if it's just sitting out on top, birds come, right? They, they steal the seed. That's what happens in somebody's life who hears the word, doesn't value it, doesn't understand it. Satan comes and takes it, and it's like they never heard it. And it's so sad. When Satan steals the word from somebody who didn't value it, it's as though they never heard it. So no, it's not producing anything. Well, why didn't it get in? Well, are you there in Luke chapter 8? I want you to start making this connection. Look at verse 15. Jesus said, the ones that fell on good ground. Somebody say, good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. That word good is the exact same word he just used to describe the ground. So good ground, say it again, good is a good heart. Good ground, good heart. Those who hear it with a good heart, what do they do? They keep it. There we go again. They keep it. They protect it. They guard it. And they bear fruit with patience. So good ground is good heart. We need to get over now into talking about good ground. Because by the grace of God, that's what you and I are. And that's what we're going to be. That's what I desire to be. Is the kind of ground that the word of God can go to work in and produce fruit in. It's not hard to figure out what good ground is. All you have to do is look at bad ground and don't be that. <laughs> don't do that. So if good ground is good heart, what do you know right away about hard ground? What does that tell you about the heart? Hard heart. Good ground, good heart. Hard ground, hard heart. This is a big reason the word wouldn't be able to produce. What makes the ground good? Let me just give it to you the way the Lord said it to me. You can easily see what makes the good ground good once you see what makes it bad. When we identify 
what kept the word from producing fruit in the first three types of ground or the first three kinds of hearts will recognize what we don't want going on in our heart. We're setting up a guard. You don't want a hard heart. I'm going to give you a few scriptures here in just a moment. Can you handle a few scriptures today? Man, I'm loaded. If I gave you everything that I saw from the word in this, it would be coming out of your ears on the way out of here today. So just trust the Lord with me. We'll get to the right thing. But one of the things that you and I have to guard over is the hardness of our hearts. You don't want a hard heart. Hard heart is like hard ground. When the word gets sown, it just sits right there on top, doesn't penetrate, doesn't get in. And Satan comes along and says, thank you very much. I'll take that. And it's like you never heard it. Why? Because the heart was hard. Couldn't penetrate. Put this verse on the screen for us. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. While they're looking for that, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. You're looking for Ephesians 4? Listen to what Proverbs 29 verse 1 says. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Let the severity of that kind of settle in for a second. Look at it. He who is often rebuked. So that's not just being corrected once or twice, is it? It's being corrected over and rebuked again and again and again. And a rebuke is a strong word. This is not somebody who is too concerned about how you hear it. They're not so concerned about the niceness or the politeness of what they're saying. A rebuke is a strong word. And he said, he who is often rebuke, rebuked and hardens his neck. It's not a word or a phrase we use too much anymore, but you're familiar with a stiff-necked kind of person? The, the children of Israel got called this by God often. Stiff-necked, and it has to do with a hard heart. It's stubbornness, if we're honest about it. It's just being stubborn. Somebody who's often rebuked, and they're stubborn. They don't want to hear it, and they certainly aren't changing that person who hardens themselves, hardens their heart to it, notice what happens. Suddenly they're destroyed and there's no remedy for it. That's not a concept you hear too much from the word of God. I mean, I'm, we believe in a big God who does big things. And man, he saved you. He saved you from the hell you were living. He saved you. He saved me. He pulled us out of the fire. He can do a lot of things. So when you and I see something from scripture that says this can't be fixed... You need to wake up, pay attention. How do calluses form? Look at your hands right now. Depending on the kind of life you live and the kind of job you have, you either have sweet, silky, smooth baby hands, or maybe you've got some rough spots, some hard spots, some, some spots that have calloused and gotten hard, when I was a freshman in high school, we had an English teacher that we thought was the coolest dude in the world. He was a young guy, kind of fresh out of college. I think maybe one of his first teaching jobs. He kept it on the down low, but some of our, the students found out he was in a band. And this band had a song on the radio, the Breakfast at Tiffany's song. Does anybody remember that song? I see the 
Older people with blank stares on their face. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You didn't miss anything. Younger people might remember that one. But it was a, kind of a big song, kind of a one-hit wonder. This was this guy. Our English teacher wrote that song, and that was his band. And man, when we found that out, we thought this guy was so cool. So guess what? We wanted to be in a band. And I had a couple of guys in my class. We decided to start a band. Problem, only one problem. None of us played anything. But we're going to be in a band. And so we start learning to play guitar, right? And uh, I've got a, had a friend that learned to play bass, another friend that learned to play another electric. We, we had one guy, there was one guy in the band that knew how to play drums. Actually, he was the best guitar player in the band, but none of us knew anything about drums, so he got stuck playing drums. And the band was called, are you ready for this? Jimmy Carter and Me. <laughs> that was the name of our band. Raise your hand if you never heard of us. Look at all the hands. Wow. Wow. And I remember learning to play guitar and I had this acoustic guitar in my bedroom. It belonged to my dad. He never learned to play it. Mama got it for him for some anniversary gift or something years before I think I was born. And so I'm trying to learn to play this guitar. Now, if you have ever played guitar, you know that when you first start playing, it hurts. You are, you've got these dainty little fingers that you're pressing down on these metal strings, right? And you're learning to play these chords and you strum it and it sounds all rattly and it doesn't sound good and out of tune and all of that. Well, part of it is it hurts so much to press down on those strings that while you're learning, there's really only so long you can play before your fingers start hurting. But the more you play, the more you stay with it, the more you do it, the more you do it. I found that in a pretty short amount of time, I started developing these little calluses on the tips of my finger. Do I have any guitar players in here this morning? A few. Am I telling the truth? You got calluses right now on the tips of your fingers? Well, that's from friction. Look up how calluses are formed, how, how something that's soft becomes hard, and it's friction. It's this, this rubbing together over and over and over and over, and it starts to form these little calluses on your skin, somewhere on your body. And that's what was happening with uh, learning to play guitar. I experienced some of the same things starting to work out. You're lifting bars, you're doing pull-ups and stuff, and I'd go home after a workout, my hands would just be torn to shreds, building calluses right there. But the more you do it, the harder it becomes. Put that scripture back up there for us. Proverbs 29. Notice what it says again. He who is what? Often. Often rebuked. What does that make you think of? Rebuked again and again and again. Now, why would somebody have to be rebuked again and again and again? Because they didn't get it the first time. They didn't change right? They didn't receive it. And here's the big one. They didn't repent. Didn't repent. And so every time, every time the rebuke comes and they resist it, what's happening? The heart's getting harder and it's getting harder and it's getting harder and it's getting harder. But notice where this is headed. That person who resists the rebuke and won't repent, won't acknowledge, won't respond without excuses. Are you listening? Yep. That person will suddenly be destroyed. This is a wide open door to the devil in your life. 
Satan comes immediately and steals the word from, from atop a hard heart. And that without remedy. Ephesians chapter 4. Did you find that one? Ephesians 4. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you received a rebuke? Now, remember, all of this is about hearing the word, right? The seed falling on your heart. When was the last time you got good and rebuked? When was the last time you got corrected, huh? See, the thing is, we, we come at the word, and, and this is good to, to a degree, but we come at the word, man, we're excited about the promises. We're excited about the blessing that we see in it. We're excited about all the things it'll do for you, and it'll heal you, and it'll strengthen you. And man, we believe all that stuff, don't we, church? Yeah. But one of the big functions of the word of God is to correct us. That's one of the big things his word does. And he corrects us by showing us what's right. And when you see what's right, you can make adjustments and make changes. But listen, if it's been a long time since you've heard any correction or received any correction, you're not listening close enough. You're not coming at the word with the right heart. We've got to come to the place where we're, we're not just open to correction. We're looking for it because we love it. Because the Bible says who he loves, he corrects. And I know some people are going, man, he must really love me. <laughs> Maybe he does. He does really love you. But what are you doing with it? How are you receiving that correction? When somebody confronts you and says, hey, what you said was not right. What you did was not right. Here's the scripture that shows what is right. And that was not. When's the last time you said, I'm sorry. You're right. I can tell you it was a long time because it's not normal. It's not natural. We don't like to do that. We don't like to acknowledge that. But if you, instead of responding with just humility and correction, if you just resist it, well, no, 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 no. That's not what I said. That's not what I meant. Isn't it funny how we judge everybody else by what they did, but we judge ourselves by what we meant? That's not what I meant. Or you come up with all these other excuses. Well, they said, and they did. And so that's because, and you got excuse after excuse after excuse. Be careful because what's happening is you're being rebuked, but you're resisting it. And every time you do, there's friction on your heart. And it's building up layers of hardness. In Ephesians chapter four, y'all are quiet. I get it. I know. It'll get good. In Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 25. The Spirit of God is saying through Paul here, writing to us, this church, but we're part of it. He said, therefore, putting away lying. I want you to say hardness. hardness. Lying is Hardness. It's a heart condition. I mean, if you tell a lie, and let's say it's the first lie you ever told. Think back on that, and you might have to go back a ways. But remember that, and you might remember your heart really bothering you. Man, you knew that wasn't true. Somebody said to you, did you do this? And you did it, and you know you did it. But instead of saying, yes, I did, you said, no, I didn't. 
or you started blaming somebody else or making excuses. But when you told that lie, if you, if you knew how to look inside, man, your heart was bothering you. <laughs> heart bothered me so much. Oh man, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. But here's the deal. If it starts bothering you and you don't go acknowledge right away, I'm sorry, I lied to you. What I said was not true. Yes, I did do it. If you fail to acknowledge that and you just hide it, did you notice the next time you lied? It may have still been hard, but it wasn't as hard. And then the time after that, what's happening? It's getting a little easier and easier. And every time you tell a lie, guess what's happening? Friction. You ever said this phrase before? Something just rubbed me funny about that. It's friction. Something's rubbing you wrong on the inside. Ah, that's not good. I don't like that. And if you don't acknowledge it, a little bit of hardness builds up. And then the next time you do it, it's a little easier. And then it becomes actually to the point where not only is it easy, it's natural. It just flows out of you to say something that's not true. That's a lie. And here's Paul writing to this church. I mean, would you have to write to church people and say, put away lying? Evidently you would. So lying is the result of what? Hardness, the hardness of heart. He said, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We're members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. What's, what's, what's the heart condition that's producing all this anger all the time? Hardness of heart. If you're angry, he said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't let it hang out because anger tolerated, anger in the heart, it, it, it's like rubbing you funny. It's friction on the inside and it's making the heart harder and harder and harder. He said in verse 27, don't give place to the devil. You're lying, anger tolerated. This is all opening up the door to the devil in your life. He's coming to steal the word from a hard heart. He said, let him who stole steal no longer. If you ever stole something when you were a kid, man, it bothered your heart. I know it did mine. Because I remember the day around Christmas time, we were walking through a department store and I saw a little Santa Claus on a shelf that I thought, I want that. And I will never forget this. His leg was broke. I don't know why I remember that, but I just remember this little gimpy Santa Claus laying on that, just about that big. And I reached over, I grabbed it and I put it in my pocket. I don't know, six or eight years old. And I got home and man, it bothered me. I was tore up on the inside and I went to mom and dad and said, I stole this and I shouldn't and I'm sorry. So guess what we did? Back in the car, back to the store, find the manager. I stole this. <laughs> Something was rubbing me funny on the inside. Friction. But what happens if you don't acknowledge that and you try it again, it gets a little easier and it gets a little easier. And then all of a sudden, stealing just sort of becomes a way of life without you realizing it. And it's easy to steal. It's easy to steal from work by being on Facebook when they're paying you to do something else. It's easy to steal, huh? It's easy to cheat people out of things because you know everybody does it. But that's only because the heart has gotten hard. He said, let him who stole, would you have to tell church people, quit stealing stuff. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his hands, uh, 
What is good that he may have something to give to him who has need? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt, it just means worthless. It means putrid. It it literally has a stench to it. Stop letting this stuff come out of your mouth because the more it comes out of your mouth and you don't acknowledge, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Your heart's getting harder and your heart's getting harder. He said, but let him say or speak what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve him. I don't want you to turn there, but if we had time to go back and look at the book of Hebrews chapter three, it talks all about, well, let me just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Listen to this. In Hebrews three, Hebrews 3, 7 says it like this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you're going to hear his voice, he said, don't harden your heart. See, that's what this whole thing is about. It's hearing the word of God, receiving the word of God. That's God speaking to you. Don't sit there and say, well, God never speaks to me. Open the book. That's him speaking to you. Set your eyes on it. Read some red words you just heard from Jesus. But just looking at it is not the end of it. It's got to get in, right? And you've got to have a guard that receives it and keeps it in. And if the heart's hard, then you're not hearing it. It's like not hearing it at all. And that's why he connects here, you hearing his voice to the hardness of the heart. He said, today, if you're going to hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me, saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry. The King James Bible says, I was grieved with them. Now, it's not a happy thought, and I'm not encouraging you to hang out here, but God can get angry. There are things that grieve him. Didn't we just read in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. God is saying, I was grieved with them. I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. He said, I swore in my wrath. God is not happy. He said, they will not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Wait a second. I was fine as long as we were talking about them Old Testament people. But now all of a sudden, what's he say? Beware, brethren. Watch out, family. Is this something that New Testament, born again, spirit-filled believers have got to watch out for? Yes, it is. Is this something we have got to be on our guard? Yes, it is. Beware, brethren. Watch out, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another's daily. We should be encouraging each other with this every day. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we've become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Is this not like the third or fourth time he said it in the last several verses? If you're going to hear from him, your heart can't be hard. If you're going to receive from him, your heart can't be hard. For who having heard rebelled? He said, indeed, was it not all who came out of, G- uh, out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? 
Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's the hardness of their heart. They refused to believe. I don't want to take the time to go back, but these people are an amazing case study of what not to do. See what they did and don't do it. I mean, God had to work with these people. And it was like, it, when, he, when he brought them out of Egypt, he delivered them. And he had this other place, right? This promised land that he had intended for them to dwell in. He promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. And when he brought them out of Egypt, you know what he said to them? Okay, I'm with you. Now go up and possess the land. And you know what they said? No, we can't. There's too many tall people. We can't do it. We're not going. And then God, it made him angry. And he spoke through Moses, told them they had sinned. And they said, oh no, we've sinned. Come on, let's go up. And God said, you better not go. Don't go up now. I'm not with you. And they said, no, 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 we're going up. So when he said go, what'd they say? We're not going. Then when he said, don't go, what'd they say? Oh, we're going. And you know what? It looked like faith. It sounded like faith. Every man, grab his sword. We're going to go possess the land. But it's not faith if God said don't go. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if he said don't go, what can you have faith to do? Don't go. Don't go. And God, I mean, he spoke to these people. They're saying we're hungry. We're tired of eating this. And so God said, fine, I'm going to rain some food down. And they came out and they said, manna, what is it? And God told them what it was. And he said, look, I'm going to give this to you every day. Go out, gather it up. But he said, don't, don't store it. Don't save it. So you know what they did? Saved it. And the Bible says it stank and it bred worms. And then he said, now you collect it six days, but on the, seven, on the sixth day, you collect enough for two and it won't spoil. I'm going to provide for two days, but don't go out on the seventh. That's the day of rest. Don't go out that day. Don't collect that day. So guess what they did? They went out that day, right? You know, and you know what the Bible calls this? Hard heartedness. And it's amazing that God didn't look at these people and go, you guys, y'all are so cute. You're just little free spirits, aren't you? You're just such independent thinkers. And I get it. I know you're curious and, and you want to figure it out for yourself. Well, I'm just a free spirit. I'm just a, a free and independent thinker. Oh, you mean you have a hard heart? Because when it comes to the word of God and, and when he's speaking to you, this is not your time to be a free spirit and a free thinker. And there are people, you know them and I know them. I just don't want to be one of them. Those who are hardwired to do the opposite of whatever they're told. Come here. I ain't going there. Stay there. I'm coming there. <laughs> Jump. I'm sitting down. Sit down. I'm jumping. There are people and it's in them just to resist, resist, resist. I know when Sarah and I first started in our ministry, the Lord had blessed us with a little twin engine Cessna airplane. Um, not a big airplane, not a fast airplane, 
It had kind of a, a relatively low ceiling level where we could only fly up to about 20, 22,000 feet, which meant we couldn't really get around weather as good as some of these jets that could get up high. Well, we had been invited to minister at a church in another state, and it was in February of that year, and this would have been, I guess, 2011. And um, I remember that year, that winter, it was like snowing in America. It was ice and snow across the country. And this pastor had invited us to minister. And he and I talked on the phone and there was some rough weather. And he said, well, you'll pray about it and whether or not we need to reschedule. And, and so Sarah and I prayed. We talked to each other and we just talked to the Lord and said, are we supposed to go? Do we go now or do we wait? And it, it came up in our hearts. Just wait. Don't push it. Don't go. And I'm not saying we got some word necessarily, audible word from God. It just seemed peaceful to us to not go. You understand what I mean? So when he says, don't go, what can we have faith to do? Don't go, right? And I told the pastor, we talked about it. He was good with it. I was on the phone with somebody kind of explaining the situation to them. And when I told him, yeah, we're going to delay and, and wait. This guy said to me, you know, that's probably fine. You know, some people have great faith. Some people have great faith and they just push on through and they're fine. You know, you just got to go with where you're at. And man, the Lord caught my attention. It stood out to me. And I could just sense the Lord saying, this is why people are missing it. Misunderstanding faith. I preached a message not long after that, how I survived a plane crash. You want to know how I survived it? I didn't go. I can have faith to stay when he says stay. But a hard heart, if the Lord says stay, what's a hard heart do? I'm going. Bless God, I'm going. Psalm 91 in full effect. I dwell in the secret place. He gives his angels charge. Guess where my angels are that day? My house. Because that's where he told me to be. You understand what I'm saying? That's what these people were doing. And God's so frustrated with it. And it grieved him. Literally made him angry. Let me read a few. Oh, excuse me. Let me read a few of these to you from the ministry of Jesus. I told you I had a lot here. Mark chapter 3. Before we go any further, if a hard ground... If good ground is a good heart, then hard ground is a hard heart. So if you want to be good ground, what do you know right away? Just by studying the bad, what do you know good ground is? Soft. I moved too quickly. Back to Ephesians chapter 4. He said in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, he said, let all bitterness say hardness, wrath say hardness, anger, clamor, evil speaking. All of these things are the result of a hard heart. He said, put them away from you with all malice. And instead, verse 32, be kind to one another. Well, there's a thought. There's an idea. Be kind to one another. And what else? tender hearted. If bad ground is, is hard, then bad heart is a hard heart. Well, that, that, what does that tell you? A good ground is soft. It's tender. 
It's a heart. It's a ground that the seed can penetrate. Well, that's what a good heart is. Tender. Be tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Can you handle just a few more minutes of this? Jesus, in the book of Mark, let me just read it to you. In chapter three, verse one, it says, Jesus entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a withered hand and they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. There were religious people expecting Jesus to heal. I wish we had that much faith. Watch this. Watch him. Just, just watch him. He's going to heal somebody. No, you just wait. I've seen it. You just wait here and watch. He, he's going to heal. Somebody's getting healed today. The only thing is they're watching. And according to the scripture, they're looking for something they might have to accuse him. Um, we don't want this in us. People who are constantly looking for something they can use to accuse somebody of, guess what they're going to find? Something they can use to accuse somebody. Fault finders are people who are just fault seekers. And that's this, the spirit that was at work in these religious people. You don't want that in you. Listen to me. You don't want that in you. It's not hard to find something wrong. It's not hard to find something that should be or could be better. Congratulations, you have eyeballs. It's not hard. Come on, folks, we got to grow up. You come looking around here, guess what? You're going to find something that could be, should be better. But if you're constantly looking for something that you might use to accuse somebody with, you are a Pharisee. You are in this club. I don't want to be in that club. They're looking for something that they might accuse him with. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent, no response. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart. Anger and he's grieved. We don't like to think of Jesus like this. Jesus walked around with a smile on his face all the time, didn't he? Just loving and happy and, and, and so sweet to everybody. But here you see Jesus got ticked. He's angry and grieved at what? At what? At what? The hardness of their heart. How did he know their hearts were hard? Simple. He asked them a question and they didn't respond. Is it lawful? Is it right to heal this man today? Folks, talk about easy questions with easy answers, right? Duh. Yeah. It would be a good thing for this man's hand to not be withered anymore, but they kept silent. A hard heart is unresponsive. A hard heart is slow to respond to the word. But what does that tell you about a tender heart? Responsive quick to respond. You ever had a place somewhere on the body and I don't know, you, you heard it, you injured it. And it's just, it doesn't take much, man. Just a little touch. Oh, ow, right. Somewhere that and somebody just grazes it. Ah, ah, well, what's wrong? I'm, I'm just tender right here. Well, do you know your heart's supposed to be responsive like that? Tender to the gentle leadings of the spirit. 
Don't make Jesus pound on the door to get your attention. He ought to be able to say, hey, and we're all ears. A tender heart is quick to respond. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus uh, got in the boat with the disciples. Verse 13 said he left them getting into the boat again, departing to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Don't you hate it when that happens? They did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, man, it's because we have no bread. It's because we have no bread. That's why he said that thing about the leaven. Stupid. I told you to get the bread. I told you to get the bread. The bread's your job, man. You didn't bring the bread. And Jesus being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hard? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? A tender heart is quick to respond. A tender heart is quick to remember. He went on to, to remind them of what had just happened. You not remember when I fed 5,000? I don't need a bag full of bread. This is not about you forgetting the bread. See, a hard heart's always in the flesh. A tender heart hears in the spirit. A tender heart's quick to respond. It's quick to remember. Then finally in Mark chapter 16, when he was raised from the dead, it says in verse nine, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, Jesus is an early riser, I guess. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told all those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, man, they flipped out and rejoiced and got so excited about it. No, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. And man, they just rejoiced and praised God. No. They did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. Now, this could have been a very happy and joyous reunion, but it says he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. A hard heart is slow to respond. A hard heart is slow to remember the good things the Lord's done for you. I mean, God could have just delivered you, set you free, provided for you, healed your body. And the next time a symptom showed up, oh, just crying, wondering if there is a God, that's hard heartedness. A hard heart is slow to receive or to believe the truth. And Jesus comes walking in after he's been raised from the dead and the guys are like, Jesus, but he's got a stern look on his face and he rebuked the hardness of their heart. I'm trying to get you to see how he feels about a hard heart. Why would this grieve him? Because more than anything, he wants his word working in you. More than anything, he wants it producing and bearing fruit in our lives. And it literally grieves him when the word can't get in. Because we let some friction take place and didn't respond, slow to respond. Every time we're slow to respond, friction, heart's bothering you. It's getting harder and harder. Every time we're slow to receive or slow to, to, to remember, 
It's rubbing you funny on the inside. Friction. It's getting hard. But let me show you the other side of this before we go today. 2 Kings chapter 21. Turn there with me and I believe this will be it. This is where it gets good. Say it out loud. By his grace, I am good ground. His word works in me. Producing fruit. Thank you, Lord. 2 Kings chapter, what I tell you, chapter 21. That's not right. I believe it's 22. 2 Kings 22. This is about a king in Judah named Josiah. Now, this guy is interesting. He became king when he was eight years old. Anybody know any eight-year-olds who think they've become king? (laughs) This guy actually did. His dad before him, if you go back and look, did what was wrong and evil in the sight of God. And his life got cut short. And when he died, this little eight-year-old boy became king. But the Bible tells us he walked in the ways of his father, not the one right before him, his father, David, who was a man after God's own heart. And he walked in the ways of David. And man, he did some things for God. There were so many um, uh, idols and, and false gods that had sprung up all over the land. And he went to work right away, pulling that junk down, destroying that stuff. Here's a guy with a heart for God. And then it comes to, you know, verse three begins... Um, where he, he has collected an offering because the temple of the Lord had been destroyed. Here's, here's something else that shows he's got a heart for God. He doesn't want the temple of God in disrepair. I mean, I want this thing fixed. We got to put this back together. This is God's place. This is God's house. So he receives this offering, this huge offering, and he sends the people with it to the house of the Lord. And his servants go to the house of the Lord. And the, uh, the priest that was in the house of the Lord tells them, I found the book of the law. That'd be like saying, I found the Bible, not a Bible, the Bible, the one. You got to remember, not everybody had one of these things sitting on their lap. This was the book of the law. It had been lost. The people of God had not heard the word of God. It was not being given to them. It was gone. And they found it in the destruction of the temple. And they brought it back to this king, King Josiah, and they began to read it to him. And it says in verse 11, It happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. What is that? Repentance. Why? Verse 12, the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, uh, Ahakim, the son of Shaphan, and so on. He said to them, uh, to the servant of the king, verse 13, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do all that is written uh, concerning us. For the first time, this guy's hearing the word. For the first time, he's hearing the commandments of God. And guess what it comes as? Correction. He found out we have not been living right. This was a big fat rebuke. We have not been living right in the sight of God. And he found out for the first time, God is angry about this and judgment's coming. And he tore his clothes and he repented. Now, wait a second. How easy would it have been to say, that's daddy's problem, not mine. I didn't even know. I didn't know. How can I be held responsible? I didn't know. Daddy didn't teach me. Daddy's daddy didn't teach him. Excuses. 
excuses. But what he did instead, he was quick to respond. Tore his clothes. That's that sign of repentance. He said, please go inquire the Lord. Find out if what we've just read is true. And they went to the prophetess. And uh, she said to them in verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king, Judah has, uh, king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me, go ahead guys, and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But listen to this, verse 18. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, verse 19, because your heart was tender. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord. A hard heart won't do that. Hardness of heart is not humble. It's prideful. But because your heart was tender, you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes, you repented, you wept before me. Listen, listen. I also have heard you. The condition of your heart, not only does it determine whether or not you hear from God, it determines whether or not He hears from you. Your heart not only determines whether or not you hear His voice, your heart determines whether or not He hears your voice. When you pray, when you ask, he said, because your heart was tender, you humbled yourself. I heard you. I heard your heart. He said, verse 20, surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes will not see all the calamity which I'll bring on this place. How did he get mercy? Huh? He was rebuked. Did he resist it? Did he blame somebody else? Did he make excuses for why he had missed it? No. He humbled himself. He was quick to respond. Right? Quick. Quick to, listen, repent. Quick. You know what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs? A soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer. A tender, soft answer. Well, where does a soft answer come from? A soft heart. And here you see it. His soft heart. His soft answer. What did it do to the coming judgment? Turned it around. Pushed it away. We need to be thankful for His mercy. Would you stand up with me? We need to be grateful for the mercy of God. Sarah, come on up.
He said, beware, brethren. In other words, this could happen in any of us without realizing it. And if we're not aware and on our guard to stand against it, then be careful because it's happening. But man, I want a tender, soft heart. Would you raise a hand this afternoon and say you want a tender heart? Is that what you desire? That's what the Lord's looking for. We know this. He looks at the heart. So what's he looking for? Tender heart, soft heart, a heart that's quick to respond when he hears the word, a heart that's quick to remember what good things God has done for him, a heart that's quick to receive the truth when he hears it, a heart that's quick to repent, quick to repent. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.